Father, we seek you now. We ask that you give us the eyes to see that you have the authority. You are ruler of all, just as we sang. Father, help us to be satisfied by who you are. Today, I pray through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would trust in who you are. Not what you can do for us, but first in who you are as the God and ruler of all. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has authority in every way, in every, everything we face. Lord, as we, as we acknowledge the battle we're in today, let us not be overwhelmed, but let us be confident in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Hey, before you're seated, I know we usually do that right there. We're, we're ready to that. I want to do a little breakthrough like update uh, all uh, month of May and now through June. We're going to be in this breakthrough series, and we're talking about these life-changing experiences that we can go through and mainly we're talking about in the scripture how Jesus does that. But other breakthroughs happen. These things that really impact our lives that we get to celebrate. As you stand today, if one of these breakthroughs has happened since May, I want you to have a seat. And we're going to acknowledge that some of us have not had a breakthrough for a little while, at least in these ways. But if you're still standing, there may be something that you're going to able to receive in just a minute. So just think about this. Uh, how many of you have had someone in your family or close to you retire since May? If that's the case, you've had that breakthrough, go and have a seat. If, if you've had a retirement around your life, that's, that's really cool. Or how about this? If, if someone in your family has had a baby since May, go and have a seat. You know, uh, uh, Some family within the church had two babies in the last two weeks, so that they can definitely rest today. Um, or if someone in your family has been married since May, uh, go ahead and have a seat if there's been a marriage uh, in your extended family or friends. Or how about this one? This impacts a lot. If there's been a graduation from eighth grade, maybe high school or college, if there's been a breakthrough of a graduation moment, you can have a seat. A lot of the church family. Okay. Others of you are like, you graduated, you forgot already. That's all right. Okay. We won't hold that against you. If you have our Cardinals fan and you've seen the Cardinals win two games in a row at any given point, you can have a seat, all right? A few of you are still standing, and there hasn't been a breakthrough that I've acknowledged so far, and, and this is not really a breakthrough, but this is a blessing I want to give to someone in the room. You never know where it comes from. It's not a breakthrough, but it will allow you to have two big bowls of ice cream with a friend, okay? So uh, everyone can have a seat. Let's give it up for the breakthroughs that come in life. But breakthroughs are exciting. They're, they're encouraging to experience. And many of us have different ones. I would say in the last month, you've all had some type of breakthrough. But in this series, we're looking at what Jesus does through his miracles, through his power, to provide for those in need. In those breakthroughs that we see recorded in the Word of God, uh, we, we often know them as miracles or signs. And I pray that as we study more and more of what Jesus does and his authority to, to bring breakthroughs, that your faith in him grows. That's why the word of God is written. That's why I share with you today. I pray that your hope and life is found in him. John wrote this about his entire writing of the book of John. Listen to what he says. These are written, I've recorded these signs or these miracles that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you have already received the greatest breakthrough of all times, the forgiveness of sin. So if you were standing there, boy, I've not had a breakthrough. The greatest breakthrough that any of us could ever receive is the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus. And here's what Paul says about that. If that is you, he says, 
You belong to Christ. You have been made complete. He is the ruler over every power and authority. Based on today's sermon title, he is the one that satisfies. We just sang that song, give me the vision, know that you're the one that satisfies. I want you to know the only one that can truly save and satisfy, uh, not by what he does for us, but by who he is, is Jesus Christ. Amen? And I pray that you would look to him first for who he is and not just what he does. I mean, breakthroughs on this earth are good. Graduation, uh, marriages, births, they're good. But the breakthrough that all of us can hold on to forever is the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Breakthroughs from Jesus are for believing in him. They bring us to faith in him and who he is. But guys, here's the tension of the text we're going to see today. Our world has always been and is becoming more and more comfortable and accustomed to this. Going to the Lord, to Jesus, to God, only when we need something. Have you guys felt that in today's culture, that, that we go to God when we need something? I mean, there's songs written about it, uh, huge songs. Uh, how many of you have heard of Jelly Roll? Raise your hand with confidence. Jelly Roll's pretty cool. He, he, his voice is, is very interesting. Uh, he's got a, an amazing testimony. But one of his most popular songs right now is all about this dilemma. It says, the title of it is, Need a Favor. And time and time again, over and over in the song, Jelly Roll says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And then he says, God, I'm here again, and I need your help. Uh, I only talk to you when I need a Hail Mary. And then he says, amen, I I need a favor again. And he is not uh, pushing back at all on the reality that our world comes to God when we need something to be satisfied My prayer is much deeper than that for you today, and and I pray that your heart is open, that we be satisfied not by what God can do to make us comfortable, but we be satisfied because of who God is in Jesus Christ, because he's the one that truly satisfies, that he's the one that can meet our needs eternally. Turn with me to John chapter 5. If you've got a Bible around you, we're going to be in John chapter 5 all morning. It's a story you know well. It's a story about the pool of Bethsaida, about a guy who, who's looking for healing. He, he's like, God, I need a favor. In John chapter 5, uh, we see his story. It's on page 890 if you grab a Bible around you like the one I'm holding in the pew or in the, in the wings. And I pray that we open our heart to know that Jesus is the one who satisfies today. Let's look at Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, just to give you a little context, what had just happened after this, what? Jesus had just turned the water into wine. That was the first miracle that was written down for us to believe. And then in John, he also is recorded healing a young man who's battling for his life. And then it says, After this, there was this feast, and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. It is not a directional walk. Uh, it's likely he was not headed north. But literally, when you think about Jerusalem, he is literally headed up in elevation. He's going up a, a small mountain to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the high point of the whole region. So Jesus is walking up after doing these first two miracles. And look where he goes. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. So he enters this gate, and there's this pool there. In Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida which has five roofed colonnades. These were uh, roofed coverings, and under the roof coverings, there were these pools, 
and people would go there for healings. This is a picture of a modern-day film that shows the water is being stirred and people are rushing into the water, and we're going to find to be healed. This is what I pictured growing up from vacation Bible school to Sunday school to hearing my mom and dad tell us a story as we read through the miracles of Jesus. I think this picture is a very fair picture of what this may have looked like. But these people were there for healing. But while I've got this picture in my mind of what it looks like, I think the purpose of the pool is much different than I've always thought up until this week. You may be surprised to understand the details of the pool based on the realities of history. The origin, the purpose of the pool is not what we have always thought. But let's go back to the Word and see what the Word says first. We've got to let the Word win by just honoring it. Look to John chapter 5, now verse 3. It says, In these colonnades lay a great multitude, many people that were sick, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. You can see it in that picture. The water was stirred up and they rushed in. Why? Look at verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Let's be honest. This is a cool story of the Bible, but doesn't that always sound a little strange when you read that, that people are laying beside the edge of the pool. Let's say the pool's out here. Just they're covering around the edge of the pool. And when the water starts to stir, there's this idea that if you get in first, you're the one that's going to be healed. Does that seem consistent with how God heals people all throughout the Bible? It doesn't. Go back to that text. The text that's in yellow here or green um, is text that is now understood that's not in the Bible that you're holding likely. Verse 4, the green text, is is understood to be an oral tradition or almost a, a, a commentary on what the people of the day thought was happening, but was never really written down by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This does not happen very much in the Bible, uh, but there are times when hist- history tells us that certain verses were not in the original author's meaning or written down by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible that I'm holding, the Bible that you're likely holding, does not have verse 4 in yellow. It is in the footnotes of our Bible saying this was not in the earliest manuscripts, but it was later added based on what folklore had said was going on. And here's what I want you to understand. Here's why we want to rest with this. The part in yellow is what the people thought was going on in the pool. It's why they were there. The culture of the day was trusting that when an angel would come down from heaven, it would stir the pool and they would be healed. But after more and more study, after looking at the historical context, this pool was not a part of God's plan for healing. It was not a part of Jewish tradition. It was not where faithful people of God went to be healed. In fact, if there were ever a healing in the pool we see in this text, it was not done by an angel of God, but it was likely done by a demon from hell. Because people were there trusting in a God, not of the God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the father of Jesus, but it was a false God. I I encourage you to study this on your own this week. Not only is this text out of oral tradition, but the God they were there to honor was of satanic power because it was a Greek God of healing named Asclepius. Anybody ever heard of the, the Greek God Asclepius of medical healing? You may know a symbol. Look at this symbol. Have you ever seen this symbol anywhere in today's culture? This is the symbol of Asclepius. Anybody ever recognize this symbol? 
I, I Googled it this week. Uh, uh, show a symbol of Bond County of Asclepius. And this is what came up. Just a simple Google search. Look, look at this. It's a Bond County ambulance at the far to the Greenville University uh, Panther sign. And Asclepius' sign is at the back of every ambulance. I am not suggesting, I am not went off the deep end, that when you get into an ambulance, you're relying on the God of Asclepius. This has become a modern representation of medical medicine. I want you to all, the, all at the same time to be aware that false gods have affected God's people uh, from 2,000 years until now, and Satan continues to change the things that he wants us to trust in that pull our trust away from Jesus. And I don't think this Asclepius symbol does any good for Satan anymore, but he's got new ways to lead us astray. Amen? So this has been active in our culture for a long time. This God of healing was the God they were honoring at the Pool of Bethesda. In fact, historians tell us the Pool of Bethesda was not created by God and set up like through Isaac or, or Moses. The, the Pool of Bethesda was set up by the Roman government. And there were hundreds of places of healing that if you were a Roman citizen, you could go and pursue healing. It just so happened to be Asclepius was the God that they, they honored there. And look who was there, the people who needed healing most. It says a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, were waiting for the moving of the water. The most helpless, the, the people who needed saved, the people who need satisfied the most. And here's the dangerous part. God, good God-fearing people end up laying by the pool, waiting for the water to be stirred in hope that they would be satisfied. What's interesting, Satan will tell you if you're dire, in dire straits of help, he, he'll tell you he, he can satisfy you with something. Look at verse 5. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. He, he had not been able to move for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So you got this guy who has not been able to be healthy, couldn't really move for 38 years. At some point, he wanders into the, this pool and starts trusting in this God that's going to bring down an angel to stir the water, and he's going to get in first. I don't know if it happened on year one or year 35, but there's been a time now where even though he was a Jewish man, he's also trusting not only in God of heaven, but the God of Asclepius for his healing, and it's not working. And Jesus says, do you even want to be well? Notice Jesus doesn't break his back. He says, do you want to be well? Because not, not everyone wants to get well. It may have just been a very comfortable place for this guy to lay. For some reason, it was working. He, he, he had lived there for 38 years or so, and Jesus says, do you want to be well? Look at verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps in before me. He goes, I can never get there in time. He goes, I, I try to make my way there, and for the last... 30-some years, somebody always beats me in there. He makes this excuse. I want you to know he doesn't know who Jesus is. He calls him, sir, we're going to see later. There's absolutely truth. He doesn't know who Jesus is, and he makes this excuse. But notice what Jesus does. Look at verse 8. 
Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Jesus did this amazing miracle. The guy doesn't know who he is. Jesus says, okay, you're healed. And Jesus in that same stroke poked the bear that was watching. And the bear were the religious leaders of the day. In this one healing, Jesus uh, lets everyone know uh, the, these fake gods and the, the bad religious leaders that he has authority. And they'd have been upset. Doesn't Jesus know what the word says? One of the Ten Commandments to the religious leaders they'd have leaned on was that you're to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I mean, if you were a Jew, you knew that. Jesus knew that. And yet he heals this guy on the Sabbath? Uh, that, that was bad enough, but he also tells him to take up his mat and walk. The religious leaders of the day had made 38, let me get this right, 39 different categories of things you weren't to do to keep the Sabbath holy. One of them were things you weren't to carry. They had a bunch of rules under the, this one category of things you're not to carry on the Sabbath. You know, for example, they made some outrageous rules of things you're not to carry. If you had acorns, it told you how many acorns you could carry on the Sabbath. You could carry two, but you couldn't carry three. So check your pockets, see if you're okay this morning, okay? You, you, if you had three, you could eat one and then proceed. But they had all these different rules and regulations of things you couldn't do. Look at verse 10. So, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not law for you to take up your bed. They go, hey guys, it's the Sabbath. This guy can't be carrying his mat. But they twisted the truth. It really wasn't God's law to forbid him to carry this, the mat. The law of God just literally said, honor the Sabbath. And they made these categories underneath man's own rules that forbid him to carry the mat. At times, we do the same thing in churches. If you've been to church maybe your whole life, there are things you know are true, and then there's other things that sometimes we want to think are true if you're supposed to be a good Christian. Guys, we need to be very careful not to make man-made uh, rules and regulations for people to fit in. We want you to know it is by grace you're saved, and all are welcome here under the name of Jesus. Whether you got two or 20 acorns, whether, whether you got a, a, a skin that has never been tattooed or a bunch of tattoos, whether your mouth is dirty or, or you, you've got clean lips, God's grace is for all people. And there are times when we want to say, well, they're welcome, but they're not. Shame on us if we put uh, stipulations on who can come to Jesus and who can't. It is by grace we're saved. And Jesus was poking the bear. He says, I've healed this guy on the Sabbath, and I told him to take up his mat and walk because I care about this person more than I care about your rules. Does that mean we honor the Sabbath? Absolutely. Does that mean we have a bunch of details to control how we do it? I don't think so. Look at verse 11. But when he answered them, the man who, who healed me, excuse me, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your mat and walk. They asked him, who was the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now that man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn from there was a crowd in the place. So basically what happened here is the guy still does not know who healed him. The Jewish leaders want to know because they're going to go after the guy, and the guy says, I don't know who healed me. But that guy's the one who told me to do it. It's his fault. What's interesting is, look what it says in verse 14. 
Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. There's a number of good theories of what Jesus is talking about why he is sinning. He says, stop sinning or something worse could happen. I really am not going to try to guess what the sin was. It could be a number of different things, but Jesus says, hey, you need to get your life in, in, in line. You, you need, to, you need to, to, to stop whatever you're doing because something even worse could happen. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And that was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. I believe the reason John recorded this, the reason Jesus did this miracle was to make a huge claim that he is the son of God, that God in heaven is his father. And that the reality is Jesus was fully God and fully man. Even though the man who was healed by Jesus didn't even know who he was at first. My question for you is today, do you trust that Jesus is God's son? This miracle was recorded so that we would see it and believe you have to decide for yourself. This man who was healed had no idea at first. But do you trust that Jesus, the one who saves, is the one who satisfies? The miracle was recorded so that you might believe. But I don't think it's an accident how the miracle took place, how it happened. I believe Jesus went to this pagan uh, pool for healing set up by the Roman government. I believe he went to this man who was a Jew who had lost his faith and started looking to a a scrupulous to be healed. And how do you say, how do you know he was a Jew? Because as soon as he healed, he goes to the temple to hang out with his old Jewish buddies. It's almost certain that he was a Jew who had began to sit there to trust to something else. I believe he also did this on the Sabbath on purpose to make a case that he has authority over pagan gods and even over the Sabbath, declaring that he is Lord of all. See this, Jesus is proclaiming his power over works of Satan and works-based religion. And he, with one miracle, proves that he has power and authority over both. Because hear this, this pool was not some just safe place where nothing really wrong was happening. If there were really healings that people were trusting in a God that wasn't God, in, in, in heaven, it is from Satan himself. But know this, Jesus has the power over the works of Satan. I wonder if you trust that. You don't hear many sermons about this, about the devil or Satan. Uh, you're, you're often not challenged to be aware of it and then declare uh, that Jesus is who you trust. But I wonder, do you trust that Jesus has power over Satan? At some point in the next few minutes, you're either going to think of one of three things. Your pastor's going a little cuckoo. Or you're going to get a little concerned and you're like, man, there's a demon behind there and and there's a demon over here and there's a demon under my bed. That's not my intention. But here's my prayer. here's Here's what my heart is longing for, that you become aware that spiritual warfare is real and that Jesus has authority and power over all of it. And we can be confident in him. All throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, all throughout history, 
what has happened is instead of people being confident in Christ, Satan has confused, deceived, and misled people time after time after time. And I don't want you as this church family, I don't want you and your family, your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, uh, your neighbors, I don't want you to be unaware and deceived by Satan. I want you to trust in Jesus and be confident. And, And as the battle intensifies, that you stand strong in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus has power over all works of Satan. But all throughout the Bible, we see repeatedly that people trust in other things other than the God of heaven, the God of Jesus. For thousands of years, we have been deceived by Satan. It was his main thing. He's known as the great deceiver. He's known as the liar, the father of lies. We see in Genesis chapter 3, right from the beginning, uh, God has established perfect relationship, perfect place to live. And Satan comes in Genesis 3 to Adam and Eve and says, do you really think God has his best intentions for you? Uh, he, he doesn't want you to, to do this. That's exactly what you should do. And they trust in him rather than God in that moment. The devil has done his best to deceive us over and over and over again. And and I would ask you to be aware of what's going on. Why does Satan do this? Because he's jealous of God. He was thrown out of heaven after an attempt to become God. And he's still jealous. And right now he's allowed to roam around this world until Jesus makes everything new, until he's condemned and, and tied to hell forever and everything is made new again but until that point he's going to take as many down with him as he can and his time is short so it's intensifying satan has had successes over the years Uh, a few that you may think about is remember when in the old testament where god uh, asked moses to come up and, and receive the ten commandments so moses went on a journey and he received the ten commandments from god while moses was just away for a little bit keeping god's people focused on god um when Moses came down off the mountain, he had, he had seen God's glory, and it was amazing. He had the Ten Commandments, and God's people had made a golden calf to worship in a short amount of time. Satan is successful at swaying us to follow him. One of his greatest successes throughout history has been to sway people to sacrifice their own children, their own babies, for the false God of success, for the false God of blessings, through gods like Baal. This is of the Old Testament. Uh, we're like, how, how naive could you be to, to take a, a newborn child and sacrifice it to God and think it's going to produce crops, produce rain, produce a blessing? And, and many babies were sacrificed for the sake of success. Does that sound familiar to today? That we would sacrifice the youngest of our children for the hope of success, for the hope of what we want. Satan, time and time again, uh, leads us to kill, steal, and destroy. You're like, Tyson, I think maybe you went too far with that analogy. Maybe I haven't. Jesus himself says this, Satan's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's been a deceiver for a long time. He's the father of lies. And you're like, oh, it's really no big deal, is it? There are 34 different false gods mentioned in the Bible. And the first two commandments that God would say, hey, if we're in a relationship, these are things that you need to be aware of. Here's what he says. You shall have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, you shall make no idols. And we do both all the time. We're laying at the pool. We're wanting God's help. But, but we're trusting in if the water's stirred, I'm going to get in because I'm going to hedge my bets. I want an opportunity to be protected if God doesn't answer. I've been waiting 37 years. You're like, well, I would never do that. Well, what if your wait is 50 years, 60 years? 
And Satan is always telling you, I can satisfy, I can satisfy. He's probably not going to do it again by a pool, but what's he going to use? Money? What's he going to use? An opportunity to, to do something that's going to bring a blessing, even though you know it's against the word? And are you, What are you going to trust? God's people have struggled over the years by not falling in the trap of trusting evil forces to satisfy us. In the story, we show, we see Jesus saying, I've got power over every satanic work. Jesus says, I've got power to satisfy. You can see it right here in this man. So here's my encouragement to you today. Here's what you need to put into practice. Trust Jesus. Trust him alone. Don't, don't lay by the pool and say, I trust God, but I also am looking around the world to see what it has to offer. Trust Jesus and him alone. All throughout history, people have, have felt the, the urge to dabble in evil things to see if it'll bring a good. But let's be honest what it is. If it's not of God, it is of Satan. You're like, well, it's just of the world. If a power that's going to provide you satisfaction and, and something supernatural, if it is not of God, it is not good. You're like, well, what would that be? Here's the interesting thing. In today's world, I can't point to all the things. Satan is always modifying what he's going to distract us with, what he's trying to satisfy us with. But I'm going to give you some examples of the past that I want you to be aware of, of satanic work that we're tempted by, more than you might think. The Bible calls them abominations. Uh, that means they're disgusting to God. They're disrespectful to him. They destroy our relationship with him. In Deuteronomy 18, thousands of years ago, God's word said this, don't practice these abominations. And I just want you to soak these up and see if they apply. If they don't, but just be aware. The first abomination is this, that don't practice. No burning of your sons and daughters as offerings to gods for a blessing. Like, okay, I can handle that. No practice of divination. That is fortune telling of, of different types. It's right in Deuteronomy 18. No practice of witchcraft. No practice of interpreting omens. That, that is trying to know the future by other uh, sources. No practice of sorcery, sorcery which, is, which is really magic. Not, not, not illusion. I, I like illusions, like uh, people that do tricks, but black magic. Magic that comes from a source that is not just sleight of hand, but is really, truly magic. It's bad. No practice of calling forth the dead. You're like, well, those are obvious. I'm going to stay away from those. They begin to also play into things like this. Fortune telling in general, palm reading, tarot cards, mediums, seances. Just last month, a, a person came in the office and said, I have been speaking to my dead relatives through seances because I want to be with them. It's real. Horoscopes, channeling, Ouija boards. Magic eight balls. Now, the magic eight ball may be the most benign, may be the most safe. You'd be like, I've got two in my garage, you know, and I don't trust them at all. You may not, but, but I, I really want you to know whatever uh, method this is, whatever practice it is, when you have been hurting for 37, maybe, maybe three years, and you're on your knees, and, and you've asked God for help, but it doesn't seem to be answering, and all of a sudden, in that moment of notice, you're like, uh, magic eight ball, give me some advice. Should I or shouldn't I? And you're, you're like, absolutely not, or uh, the outlook is not good. And then you trust in that. That is a gateway to trust in something other than God. So get rid of it. It's not worth having. You're like, well, eight balls are good, but Ouija boards aren't. Or, or whatever level it is, I just want you to know, when your heart begins to trust in it as a gateway, it is not of God. It is not good. 
Be very careful. You're like, well, it's not really around that much. On Friday, Tiffany, Drake, and Daly and I went to O'Fallon. We were doing some uh, shopping for Vacation Bible School coming up. Tiffany knew that Five Below had some things she was looking for. How many of you have ever been to a Five Below? It's the new Dollar General. In a few months, it's going to be 100 and under, you know? I mean, <laughs> we, we were at Five Below, and, and Tiffany was, knew what she was looking for. She was looking for some skateboards that were going to be $5. She's like, I'm going to buy all of them. They had two. She's like, Ugh. Um, but while she was cruising around looking for that, I went to the book section just down the middle aisle, right in the middle of the store. I mean, it's, it's the heart of the store. And there were probably 50 different uh, printed books there, right next to the kids' coloring peg section and, and, and the kids' work. And more than half of the books were connected to fortune telling, magic, uh, sorcery, uh, horoscope. Everything that you can imagine was there. There was one book marketed to, to little girls, and it was says modern day fairy uh, and, and practices of magic. And it was pink and colorful and had fairies on it. Guys, it was not cute. It, it was of Satan. It, it made me sick to think about. I said, God, give me the eyes to see how, how you're influencing the word. And right there in the middle of this store, there, there's all this content of distractions of saying, you can trust in me. You can know the future in this way. And, and, and it was distracting and, and sick. You may have grown up like me in the church. And when you were probably junior high, if you're about my age, you heard the only way that really Satan is coming into this world is through rock music. Anybody in their 40s knew that rock music was the worst way, uh, you know, that that's the way it was. Whenever I was in sixth grade, uh, my youth minister, I think, played something backwards, and, and it was called backmasking, and you could hear a message from Satan. I was like, why are we playing it backwards, you know? I don't want to do that. But the point was to be aware, and there was a time when hardcore music was maybe a method for Satan to influence, and I'm not doubting that, Praise God, it didn't get more traction than maybe he wanted. But what I know now is he's not using that same method. He's using different methods all the time to have us trust in him or be distracted. It's ever-changing. I think right now one of the most influential music people in the world is Jay-Z, and he has a message that is not of God. Jay-Z's message right here, do what thou will, he understands that it is from a great uh, satanic writer of some 200, almost 200 years ago now, and I want to quote this guy, it says this, the very basis of evil, do whatever you want no matter the consequences to yourself or others. Jay-Z has embraced that basic concept. You can see a lot of times when he's in public forum, he's doing the sign of the Illuminati. That is not of God. We need to understand that some of the most influential people are getting tied into this. And I don't know Jay-Z's heart, but he is definitely dabbling in something that is not of God. You're like, what, Tyson, this is going on a really big stretch that our media and culture is caught up in satanic issues. I don't think so. Anybody ever heard of Newsweek? I don't know. It's been probably a few years since you had a Newsweek printed magazine in your hand. But listen to what the main editor of this section of Newsweek, Paul Bond, says in, a, in an article that was written March 23 of 2023. He says, the devil is front and center in the movies, TV shows, podcasts, and even children's books. There are satanic after-school clubs, and Satanist groups have their own political divisions. This, this article is entitled, Satan is Getting Hot as Hell in American Pop Culture. If a guy from Newsweek is aware of it, don't you think we should be? 
and I say this humbly, I say this with respect, not being cocky or arrogant, while this is real, I want you to be aware of this, but you can be confident Jesus has authority over every satanic work, amen? But we've got to be aware of it. Because he has come to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family, your kids. You're, you're, you're like, not the kids. I'm going to maybe step on some toes here because this is a younger crowd. This morning it went over pretty well because they were like, who's Taylor Swift? <laughs> I like Taylor Swift. I, I acknowledge in her first album, that girl is talented. Uh, I'm drawn to her music and she's a storyteller. It, it, it is, she's, she's, she's pretty cool. I am not also saying Taylor Swift is of Satan. Hear me say this again. I do not believe Taylor Swift is of Satan. But I believe she may be naively being used by satanic powers to have influence as a gateway into dark places in our culture. Look at this picture. This is of a recent concert setting. And this is not the only one that I found on the internet, that she has messaging and imagery that is playfully evil. Why would Satan use a person like Taylor Swift? Even if Taylor Swift knows she's not, doesn't even know she's being used, is because this girl is probably the most influential girl in the world for young women right now, young girls. And Jay-Z is influential. And Satan is very smart. He is going to be tied as much as he can to the most influential to make the most impact. Because he, he has limited power. And, and while I bring this up, not to scare you, but to make you aware that Satan has great influence, Christ has authority over every satanic work. So be confident. And he most certainly is pursuing children. Consider this cartoon. It's called Little Demon. I, you may have seen it. I've never watched it. Never, I've never even really know much about it, but it is an adult cartoon that is about this girl who is the devil's sister, and she's got all kinds of power and does radical things. Who do you think is going to want to watch this? Nobody. Larry says, nobody. <laughs> Larry, you're older than I, so we're, we're in agreement, okay? But you know who's going to want to watch this? People younger than Larry and I. 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds, your granddaughter, your, your little boy, without being guided, they're going to watch this and become uh, aware. Uh, and it's very real and it, it could change your life. You're like, oh, it, it's just meant to be cute. There's nothing cute about this. What, what about uh, clothing? Have you guys noticed there's more and more satanic clothing being sold to children? Here, here's a picture of this market for a kid. It's, it's like a teddy bear, but not. <laughs> You have a beautiful soul, give it to me. You know, and, and that's supposed to be cute. Guys, it's not cute. It is meant in the end to lead us further and further away from God, and it's meant to kill, steal, and destroy. There's nothing cute about it. So I ask you to be aware. I ask you to trust Jesus. Some of you may think I'm cuckoo. Some of you are like, man, we're in trouble. You're concerned, but here, here's my real hope. Hear this. If you belong to Christ, you are from God, and you have overcome these powers in the world. For he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Look at this text. For you are from God, and you have overcome these powers. For he who is Christ, who is in you, is greater than he is in the world. We can celebrate because Christ has authority of every satanic power. Let's praise God for that. Let's give him glory. Be aware. 
I want to close with one other thing. Jesus has the power over all works of works-based spirituality. I can't say the word. Spirituality. Think back to the story. These leaders, remember the leaders were mad. We don't know what the, 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 the evil forces do, but we kind of do because these leaders get mad and they're like, Jesus is messing up our religious actions. They're like, he's doing stuff on the Sabbath. We've got to kill him. I believe evil and Satan began to influence the religious leaders at this time to say, this guy who's disrupting everything's got to go. So the religious leaders uh, make a plot to kill Jesus because they're upset. Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to do all these things on the Sabbath. You can trust in the Lord. You can trust in God. They said, well, Jesus, we got to honor, honor the Sabbath. Look what Jesus says in Mark 2. The Sabbath was not made to meet the needs of people, but people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I'll read that again. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. The Sabbath is for our ability to relate to God, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Today, you're here to honor God. This is for you and God to be drawn closer together, not for you to come under some rules of the Sabbath. Jesus reminded us of that. The religious leaders of the day thought if they could have a perfect day ever on the Sabbath, then God would send the Messiah. And then as soon as somebody did something wrong, they'd have to wait till the next Sabbath for us all to be perfect. Praise God, that's not the way it worked. What they missed when they were trying to get right, perfect on the Sabbath, they missed, they missed the Messiah being before them right there. Here's the bottom line, I'm closing. Don't miss that the Messiah is right here today and offering you life. Don't be distracted if you can hold on to this or you can hold on to this, but trust in Jesus. He's, he's the way, he's the truth and the life. Sometimes we get distracted. I've got to do all the right things. And until I, do, until I do all the right things, I'll never be right. But here's the reality. Jesus said, I've already restored your relationship with God. Trust me. I have power over every works-based spirituality. I give you grace. Look what it says in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Don't lose sight of this. It is by grace we've been saved. Trust Jesus. Some of you have been here for a long time. You've been asking for help. You've been looking for a breakthrough for a long time. And you look to God on some days, but then you look to other things on other days. Trust Jesus. It is by grace that we've been saved. Come to him today. Say, Jesus, I'm ready to, for a breakthrough, the forgiveness of sins, to have my relationship restored with you. Trust him. So I want to end by asking one more question. Do you want to be well? Do you want to have your relationship restored to, to be made well in the kingdom of God? Trust Jesus. Declare it to everyone. Today as we go from this place, my hope is not that you're concerned, not that you're overwhelmed, but that you're confident. And when you have a battle with evil and, and you overcome it, give God glory. Give him praise. And trust him until he calls us home. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, let us trust you more. Let us be aware of the battle around us, but not be overwhelmed or driven crazy, but be confident in Jesus Christ and trust in him more and more and more. Let us celebrate together now with the truth of how he changes us and breaks, breaks through sin and, and all kinds of evil. How he, break, how, how he breaks through religious requirements and gives us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.